Have you ever had someone uh, share with you a story or share with you something that when they told you, you had to kind of do a double take and listen again because you really weren't sure what you heard the first time because it sounded so crazy, maybe even just ridiculous in your mind? Uh, that if someone said something to you and you were kind of caught off guard, you weren't ready for it and you had to stop and maybe you were doing something and you weren't really listening with all of your, all of your intent and you really weren't hearing uh, too clearly what they were saying because you were busy doing something. But when you heard or at least what you thought you heard, it was enough to make you stop what you were doing, look up and be like, come again? Or what did he just say? Uh, that's kind of the, the thought process I think a lot of those that listened sometimes to Jesus' teaching would have had. That when Jesus would be teaching and proclaiming things, Jesus would be sharing and he would be teaching and he would be relaying information to those that were listening and following him that I think a lot of times people may have been a little bit preoccupied that they'd have to stop and look up and say, he said what? Did you ever get that impression when you read some of the things that Jesus is teaching? Uh, he's teaching, and we read from the scriptures that it tells us not as the scribes and Pharisees taught. He taught with great authority and with power and with surety in what he was saying. Jesus taught things that a lot of times those that were listening, the hearers, had never heard before. He would challenge them in ways that they had never been challenged before, and he would help them to understand and to see things that they never thought they would ever understand or hear before. And I believe that's the sentiment, that's the kind of attitude and perspective so many would have had with some of the teaching that Jesus was giving on the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we've been studying in the series we've been in on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. There was a transitional point that we shared about in this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus would make one of those statements that to those that were listening and hearing, they would have stepped back and said, he said, what? Because in Matthew 5, 20, Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We've talked about this in the past, over the past couple weeks, that this statement that Jesus would make, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, would have been a challenging statement and a statement that the listener would have heard and thought, who then could enter the kingdom of heaven? The Pharisees were those that were, in the eyes or mind of society, the strict keepers of the law. As a matter of fact, they not only kept the law, but because they were so holy, they would go above and beyond even what God's law would say, and they would even put up other parameters, other fences, if you will, to guard against sin and evil. And so when they would have heard Jesus make this statement, they naturally would have thought, like, who can do that? And I love what Jesus does in the verses that will follow, and we've been examining this the past couple of weeks, is Jesus is going to uh, give a further explanation. He's going to further explain and further help the listener to hear what God truly meant with some of these commands that the Pharisees had been teaching but really weren't living. He's going to bring clarity. Have you ever seen a picture of a fast food restaurant that has a burger on the picture. And when you look at the burger, you think, man, that burger looks really good. 
Um, McDonald's does this. They have, and I'm not picking on McDonald's. If you own McDonald's in here, you like McDonald's, don't be offended. I'm not picking on McDonald's. I'm using this example. McDonald's has a billboard where they were advertising their quarter pounder with cheese and their double quarter pounder with cheese. It's fresh beef, right? They make it on the spot, right? So don't complain about the delay in the, the drive through line. They're making it for you. And on the picture on the billboard, you look at that, and you would think you were at a steakhouse eating a burger, like a nice, thick, juicy, like sirloin burger. On the picture, first of all, the picture is massive. That's not the actual size. I love how they have to put that, by the way. Not actual size of burger on the big billboard. Because somebody is going to complain and sue them if they don't do that, right? I thought I was getting that like 50-foot burger, right? It's not actual size. But when you look at the picture and you see the burger, it's perfect. The two patties, like they're thick, they look juicy. You can even see some of the juice coming off of the burger. And they have just the right portion like of, of ketchup on there with the pickle being seen. And the bun looks so good. And you look at that and maybe some of you are like, I can't wait for lunch. McDonald's is going to be packed today. Because you look at that burger and you see it and you think, man, I, I want that. I got to have that. And then you go to the drive-thru and you order your double quarter pounder with cheese or your quarter pounder with cheese and you get the box and you get home and you're all set and you're like, oh, that billboard was so great. And you open it up and you pull it out and you'll be like, I, I don't think they gave me the right order. <laughs> because what you received, what you actually are holding in your hand is not that, right? Have you ever had that happen? And not just with burgers, but a lot of different things. We can, we can understand that concept. And this is why I'm sharing this, because that is the picture I want us to understand about the Pharisees and reality. That's the picture. What they were presenting was what you see on that billboard. And what they actually were living is what we hold in our hands, uh, that we think we're getting one thing, but we're not. And what Jesus is doing in the passages before us these last couple weeks, he's helping those that are watching and listening to see that. He's helping them to understand. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven because what they're presenting to you is not an accurate picture. That's not truly the heart of God. It's not truly what the meaning of what God is saying and what God intends to be said. That's not the reality. He's exposing their hypocrisy and he's wanting the hearer to understand that the issues of the law and the issues of righteousness go beyond simple exterior things, but they go directly to the heart. And in doing this, Jesus is helping every listener, and I hope you're realizing this as well, to understand no one can measure up to the perfect holy standard of God on our own. The word of God tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're here today and you say, man, I could never measure up to that, you're right. Not one of us can measure up to the perfect standard of righteousness that God has set. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's helping them to understand that every single individual within their ear listening to Jesus was in need of a savior, which happens to be him. And that's what he's helping them to come to grips with. And so Jesus is going to make six statements in the chapter five. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. He's going to bring clarity and, and understanding the heart behind what God is asking and what God is requiring. And again, all of these statements that when you hear them, you think, who could keep that? Who could do that? That's the point. Jesus is helping them to realize no one can. Not even the Pharisees. And certainly not you and I, which exalts the necessity of our Savior Jesus. 
Let's look back just to kind of get up to speed. In verses 21 and 22, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus says, Listen, you've heard in law, you're not supposed to murder. Thou shalt not murder. But Jesus says, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You've heard it said, but I say to you. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, you've heard this standard and what has been taught and what has been proclaimed, but let me tell you what God truly cares about, what God really looks at, not just the actions on the exterior that are demonstrated or taken, but what is inside, what is within the heart, what is within the mind. It's fully exposed before God. Listen, I I don't know what you've dealt with this past week, and I don't know if you could look back and you think, okay, let me think about my standing before God, because this past week, I went to work, um, I was with my family, uh, maybe played golf, I did some hobbies, cleaned the house, did the lawn. I'm pretty good. I I can't think of anything. There's nothing on the exterior that anybody would have said, but like, man, God's displeased with you because you did that. But what what if we opened up the inside and, and we just looked at what our thoughts were this past week? Our motives, the intents of our heart. We certainly wouldn't want anybody to know that, would we? And yet the word of God tells us that's fully exposed before our holy God. You see what Jesus is doing here? You've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I say anybody that looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery in his heart. You've heard it said you're not supposed to murder, but I tell you anybody who's angry with his brother is liable unto judgment. Matthew 5, 31, 32, he says, It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, Jesus goes back to the heart behind the action. Not just the action, is this permissible before God, is this allowable before God, but the heart behind the action. In Matthew chapter 5, going on, he says in verses 33 to 35, You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He'll go on to say a little bit later on, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Again, Jesus exposing the heart, Jesus exposing the heart, motivation, attitude behind the command and going deeper, digging deeper than just simple exterior actions and exterior scenes. I mean, we're all here this morning, if I look out in the crowd, most of you look really good. Some of you, ah, kidding, I'm kidding. Everybody looks great. Everybody looks great. Clean up nice to go to church. What would our exterior look like this morning if what was on the inside was seen on the outside in church this morning? What would it look like? What would this room smell like if what was on the inside was seen on the outside? I don't know that it would be such a pretty picture. I don't know that everybody would be looking so clean today, smelling fresh, if we could see what was on the inside. If we could see the things that we've participated in over the past seven days, the thoughts that we thought, the intents of our heart and the motives behind it, what would we see? I think what we would see is broken people who are in need of a savior. And that's what Jesus was exposing here. 
He's exposing what's on the inside, not just what's on the outside. So four times Jesus has said already in chapter 5, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Four times. This morning in the passage before us, verses 38 to 48 of Matthew 5, we'll see two additional times that Jesus is going to make this statement that you've heard it said, but I say to you. And that's the text this morning that we're going to look at. Matthew 5, 38 to 48. Jesus is still speaking in the midst of this great sermon. And he says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him all, the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, when we read these statements that Jesus makes, it could cause us to step back and say, He said what? He said what? These last two, you've heard it said, but I say to you, statements. These are hard statements to digest and to implement into our lives. And how about that last statement in verse 48? You therefore must be, what's the word? Perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. Who can do these things? No one. On our own, left to ourselves. There's nothing we can do. Do you see how this exalts the necessity of our Savior Jesus? Do you see how Jesus just in a masterful way in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon, is helping the hearer, those that were following him and listening to him, those that were taking in every word he was saying to come to this point of realization, you need me. You need me. And do you realize here we are almost 2,000 years later and nothing has changed? We need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Because we cannot measure up on our own. Well, this morning what I'd like to do with the verses before us as we close out this chapter is I would like to give us two principles. Two principles to be reminded of and then two commands to obey. Okay, two principles to be reminded of, two commands to obey as we look at these great words that Jesus spoke. Two principles. Principle number one, as followers of Christ, we are to be living as children of the Most High God. Uh, this is a principle I think we have to understand and we have to embrace. As children, or as followers of Christ, we should be living as children of the Most High God. We're taking the text this morning and we're starting from the back end of it and moving back to the front end of it, okay? We're doing things a little differently today. So look at verses 45 to 48 again. He says in verses 45 to 48, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. As followers of Christ, we're to be living as children of the most high God. This past week, we had an opportunity this past weekend to visit some friends uh, some great friends of ours in northeast Pennsylvania. And I was laughing because we went into their home. They opened their home to us and were there. And we were there for a little while. And uh, after a little while, their adult children came to see us as well. And so we're at their house. And uh, they're very hospitable people. I think that's a gift of hospitality that these folks have. And, and so we're sitting at the, the table there. And as we're sitting there talking... Um, the youngest daughter of the folks that were hosting us came into the house, walked into the house, put her stuff down, walked right into her parents' kitchen. And she said, can I get you guys anything to eat, anything to drink? And uh, do you want something from the refrigerator? Do you want something? And I'm, I'm laughing. I'm sitting there laughing. I was like, this isn't your house. <laughs> like I was telling her. I'm like, this is your parents' house. You don't live here anymore. She's married as a kid. And, and she just walked in like she owned the place because it's her parents' home. And so like their food is her food apparently. And their drinks are her drinks. And I laughed and I told you know her mom when she came in I'm like hey just so you know your daughter offered us pretty much anything we want in your home um it was pretty hospitable and she laughed and she's like oh my kids are like that they know when they come here anything they want it's theirs it's it's like it's their home still I share that because I want to remind you of something today if you are a follower of Christ if you are a child of God your heavenly father is the God of all the universe You belong to him. He knows you. He knows when you get up in the morning, where you go during your day, and where you lay your head down at night. He knows you. You've been redeemed by him. He cares for you. He hears your cry. He is compassionate and kind to you as his child. You belong to him. If we fully embrace that and understand that and live with that understanding and that knowledge, what else could really matter to us? What really could weigh us down when we know that we can cast any burden on him because he cares for us? I think too often as children of God, we do not remember and recognize that we are to be living as children of the most high God. Can I ask you this morning, are you representing him well as his child? Are you representing him well as his child? Can you even contain the excitement and joy that should be present that your heavenly father is the one true God of the universe? Who have you shared about your dad with recently? As followers of Christ, we're to be living as children of the Most High God. Look at what he says, verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is not saying this in in the sense of you're earning your ability to be called a son of God by doing these things. He's saying if you're doing these things, and he clarifies it when he says about loving your enemies. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven because that's what your Father in heaven does. Look what he says. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
You are like your father in heaven. You are representing your father in heaven well when you do these things. Because this is what he does. This is what his actions are. This is what he participates in. This is what he is exemplified by. I, I love as a, as a dad when my kids, when they were very young, you would notice, and they wouldn't even know that you were noticing them doing it, when they would kind of mimic what you would be doing. And so if you're sitting at the table, and maybe you've been there before, and it comes time to pray for your meal, and you, you fold your hands, and you do this, and then if you look up, you can see them doing the exact same thing. Or sometimes the kids would be watching the way that you're doing something, and you can see them just kind of mimicking your actions. And when they're, like, really little, that's really, like, cute, and it's exciting. Now, like, if they're, like, copy, like, sometimes my kids will be, like, start copying everything I say. And I'm like, all right, Dad gets it. That's enough, right? Because they're saying everything I say, and they're doing everything that I do. But, but there's a time there where it's almost, like, exciting to see them want to just kind of do what you're doing. That's what should be true of us as children of our most high God, of our heavenly father. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as dear children. I wonder, are we representing him well as his children? Are we living in light of the fact that our father is the God of all of the universe? That should mean something. That should mean something to us. That should inspire us. That should stir us. That should give us a sense of not only security but boldness as we proclaim who he is and what he has done. I wonder, do we oftentimes forget this? A little later on in verse 48, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can we not lose sight of the fact that our heavenly Father is perfect? If you're a parent today, how many of you have ever made a mistake as a parent? Put your hands up. I want to see all the hands because I want to feel better about myself. Put your hands up if you made a mistake as a parent, okay? If you as a parent have made any mistakes this week, put your hand up. Again, this is like self-esteem boosting for me because so have I. I'm not on an island, right? You know as a parent, you mess up, you fail, you make mistakes. I've had to tell my kids before that. Like, listen, like, dad's not going to do everything perfect. I've tried to relate to my kids that no one's perfect, right? No one. But our God, your heavenly Father is perfect. He does what is right every single time. He is always on time. How many of you have ever been late to something before? Even a minute. Every hand should be up. Some of you will not put your hand up. How many of you have ever been late? I want every, like, okay. All of us. But not God. But not God. He's never late. He never falls short. He never fails. He never breaks a promise. He's never done evil. And he never will. That is our Heavenly Father. Oh, how much different we would be and we would live if in the morning when we woke up we thought, I'm a child of the most high God. Can I ask you, what else really would matter that day? I'm a child of the most high God. Secondly, I think a, a really important point we have to understand is followers of Christ were to be living beyond the status quo for the glory of God. 
Doesn't that, shouldn't that go without saying if you're a child of God that you're living beyond what those that are not the children of God are living like? Verses 45, 48, again, when Jesus describes what he describes here, following the whole loving your enemies and uh, resist the one that is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, give him the left cheek as well. We'll talk about that in a second. But as followers of Christ, we're to be living beyond the status quo for the glory of God. We've already talked about this in the past, but listen, the standard of the world is not your and my standard. The holiness or standard of holiness in the eyes of men is not the standard of holiness for you and I as children of God. It shouldn't be enough for the child of God to say, I'm just going to try to get by in my walk with Jesus. We need to be be living beyond the status quo for the glory of God. You are not your own, the word of God says. But you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Do you realize to glorify God in our body is going to be a requirement to live beyond the status quo? to live beyond what the world is living like. And yes, that affects not only our words, but our actions, our mindset, the desires of our heart. Live beyond the status quo. Verse 46, Jesus speaks about if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? By asking this, it's not that Jesus is trying to destroy the tax collectors. If anything, what he's doing is he's pointing out that if you're a child of God, if you follow him, if you are one of his followers, you should be doing more than those that are not his followers are doing. Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Verse 47, what more are you doing than any others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Those that the Jews would have despised, those that they would have looked down on, those that they would have not have desired to be like. Jesus is saying, don't even they do these things, loving those that love you and greeting only your brothers. You know what Jesus is calling them to here? He's calling them to a life of holiness. He's calling them to a life of striving for holiness, to be like God as he is holy. He's calling them to go beyond what is the norm of society, beyond what is the accepted norm, beyond what is just a given, that you're just, if you're just a quote-unquote good person, this is what you do. Listen, it's not enough that you and I as followers of Christ would be striving to just be good. We're to be striving to be holy as he is holy. We're to be like our God, like our Father who is in heaven. And sometimes that means doing things that other people won't do and forgiving things that other people refuse to forgive and living in a manner that to the world that's watching might just seem crazy to them, but not to our God. Are we prepared for that? Are we committed to that? Do you know how crazy it sounds to the world when you go to someone and say, listen, you need to die to yourself and live to God. You know how crazy that sounds? You know how crazy it sounds what Paul said in Romans 12? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice unto God, holy, which is your reasonable act of worship. You know how ridiculous that sounds to people? Crucify yourself because you're alive to Christ? What? If you love father or mother or sister or brother more than me, you're not worthy of me? That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed? And what? It's foolishness to the world. But you're not called 
to be loved and accepted by the world as a child of God. Nor am I. We are called by God as followers of Christ to live beyond the status quo for the glory of God. And if you and I can go week after week, month after month, year after year without speaking the name of Christ, without sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, without people having any clue that we are children of the Most High God, there's a problem with that. People should know. They should see it in us. Not only in our words, but in our actions. They should be able to see in our integrity and character. They should be able to see by the love that we have for God and for people that we belong to him. And we're not like everybody else. You and I as followers of Christ should not be just like everybody else. We should be different. How different are you than the world? How different am I than the world? These are two I believe, principles that that we really should operate by and live by. Understand and recognize that you are a child of the most high God and should be living as such. And understand as followers of Christ, we're to be living beyond the status quo for the glory of God. Jesus tells us this, verses 45 to 48, he just lays it all out there. Don't be like everybody else. Even everybody else does this. This is something you should be beyond as my followers, as children of God. So with those principles in mind, let me just give us two quick commands. Two quick commands. And some of these, these commands that Jesus has been giving have been ones that have been like really hard. <laughs> They've been difficult. And it's no different this morning. So welcome to the party, right? Because these are two, again, very difficult and hard commands to obey. Command number one, relinquish retaliation and revenge. Look at verses 38 to 42 again. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Let's stop right there because in today's world, today's society, you say an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Everybody's like, yeah, that's right, eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. If someone like knocks out your tooth, rip theirs out too. And if they poke your eye, poke their eye out. Like it's a, it's a retaliation culture that we live in. It's, a, it's a, a, a retaliation and revenge culture that we find ourselves living in. And Jesus is calling us beyond that. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. Don't try to get even with the one who is evil. Don't try to retaliate against. Don't seek revenge against the one that is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, Jesus is quoting from Exodus chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, where we read that there's to be an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And it's this protection in the law, these laws that were given by God. They were given as a deterrent for sin and crime, that the punishment would match the crime that was committed. But they were also used as a protection for the one who committed an offense, so that the punishment was not greater than the offense committed. So for example, if you happen to steal someone's bread as a, as a um, recompense for that or as a punishment for that, you didn't have to sign over your house to them, okay? So you're like, man, all I still was a loaf of bread. They get the whole house. Like It was to protect not only the evildoer, the one that did an offense, so that there was a like punishment, but it was also to be a deterrent for that. So that if someone was going to do something to someone or they wanted to cause harm to someone and they, I don't know why anybody would do this, but they're like, I'm going to chop that guy's hand off. Well, if they did that, then they were going to get their hand chopped off, right? And so that would be a deterrent. I don't know what maybe sin you struggle with today, but if, if you knew there was going to be heavy, immediate consequences to whatever sin you're committing, we would think twice about that in the reality. 
Well, that was the cause and the desire for this law, the law that was there. And these laws that were in place were to be carried out and enforced by civil courts, civil government, and judges. But here's what the Pharisees were doing. The Pharisees were taking these laws that were meant to be a deterrent, but also meant to be a protection so that the the punishment did not far outweigh the crime that was committed. It was to be enforced by courts and civil government. The Pharisees were taking what was meant to be that, and they turned it into a mandate for personal vengeance. And so it was whatever's happened to you, you do to them. You understand the difference in this? It was an opportunity for personal retaliation and vengeance. And what, what God initially meant as something for order in society and as something to be carried out by government authority, be carried out by judges, something that would be for order as a deterrent but also a protection. The Pharisees were taking this, and culturally this is what they would, would took this to, to be, is that it was now a personal, uh, basically, vendetta that would be supported by the law. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. One commentator noted that what God gave as a restriction on civil courts, Jewish tradition had turned into a personal license for revenge. Now listen, let's be honest. Some of us, if we could like personally take vengeance on people whenever they wrong, we would be all about that. We would be all for that. If you ever had someone key your car and you had surveillance of it, How many of us would be like, I'm going to key their car? How many of us, that's what we would be thinking? If someone did something destructive to our property, took a baseball bat and bashed in our front window, guess what we would be like? Get that bat because I'm going after them. And we would be slamming their window because that's, that's an eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. God said it. You see what the Pharisees were doing with this? It was a personal vengeance thing. They were of the opinion if someone wrongs you, get revenge. If someone does something against you, seek vengeance and carry it out. Jesus is going to set the record straight here. He's going to call his followers to a standard beyond the standard that the Pharisees were teaching and modeling. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the evil or one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now understand even this. I read a bunch of, bunch of perspectives and commentaries on this. But if you think of someone in this culture, to slap someone on the right cheek was an insult. It wasn't, the, the focus here is not on physical violence. When Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other. In this culture, if someone were to slap you on the right cheek, it was an insult to them. It was, they're belittling them, they're insulting them, they're making light of them. But here's what's very interesting about this, because I'm doing this. This is what you think of when you slap on the right cheek. But I want you to think about it. If you had to slap me on the right, Jeff, can you come up here for just for one second? Come on up. Yeah. How many of you have ever seen those new slapping videos, like the sport? Everybody's standing at a table, they hold on, and they wind up, and they just slap them in the face, and they take it. If you haven't seen that, it's a waste of your time, but it is quite funny. Jeff, that's what I'm going to do today, okay? So no, I'm just kidding. If I wanted to slap Jeff, and most people were right-handed, even during the day in which Jesus, the, the, right side was, the right side was known as an insult. So if I want to slap Jeff on the, the right cheek, I'm not using an open-handed slap because this is his left cheek. So the, the picture of slapping someone on, on the right cheek is me to do a backhanded slap. It's backhanded. It's, it's a backhanded slap. You can sit down. Thank you, Jeff. Give Jeff a hand, by the way. But if, if you slap someone on the right cheek, you're turning your hand and you're slapping them this way. It's an insult. It's insulting to them. It's belittling them. 
It's get out of here. Like it's, it's one of those things that, that's, and Jesus said, listen, if someone does that to you, turn the other one as well. This is not a, a prohibition against self-defense. This is not a prohibition against defending yourself against physical violence that takes place. This is not, hey, become a punching bag for whoever wants to punch you. That's not what this is. Jesus is saying if someone's insulting you, belittling you, destroying you with their word, allow them without seeking retribution and vengeance to them. Trust God with that. Give it to him in that. Again, this isn't a physical violence emphasis of you just let people destroy you physically. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, turn to them the other cheek as well. I had this conversation with my kids as they started school, and I told them, I said, listen, if, if kids at school are unkind to you, if they say unkind things to you, be kind back to them. If someone's being extremely mean and, and they're just kind of just getting on your kids, be kind back to them. Be kind to them. Be compassionate to them. This is what Jesus is calling us here. Culturally, this would represent an enduring of something because we have a greater desire to honor God in how we respond. And that's what's on display here throughout this next few verses, verse 40, verse 41, and 42. We can't cover all these because we're really short on time. But Jesus is telling them, listen, whatever it is that they're doing against you, go above and beyond the status quo and represent your Father who is in heaven in the right capacity in the right way. And so we have to understand this as followers of Christ, that we're called to relinquish retaliation and revenge. And then secondly, we're jumping ahead on these verses, uh, but love your enemies. Verses 43 to 45, there's not a lot of commentary that has to be made on this. Not a lot of commentary. Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Not a lot of commentary needs to be made on these verses. You mean I don't only have to love people that love me? Go beyond that. You mean I don't have to do good to those that do good to me only? Go beyond that. You mean I actually have to represent what Jesus has done for me to them? Yes. Yes. Because you're a child of the Most High God. Because you don't belong to this world. Because you're not like everybody else. You're a child of the king. And you're called to represent him well. Two principles as we close. As followers of Christ, we're to be living as children of the most high God. And as followers of Christ, we're to be living beyond the status quo for the glory of God. Two commands. Relinquish retaliation and revenge. Love your enemies. We're going to close with a song this morning, and as we go to a time of singing, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for just one moment? Maybe this morning you've recognized these are two areas that you are failing in. You're not living as a child of the Most High God and certainly not representing Him well and certainly not committed to going beyond the status quo. Maybe this morning you need to make a commitment to Him to do just that. Maybe you need to make a commitment today to relinquish that revenge attitude. And you need to make a commitment to love even your enemies. Go ahead and do that now before the Lord as we close. Father, thank you for your love. And thank you for the high calling that you've called us to. 
We pray that you would help us as your people to be faithful, to represent you well for the glory of our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.